Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. It is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where my Bible is open. And I want to encourage you to open up a Bible to 2 Corinthians 4 as well. Lots of Bible this evening, and so let's all be getting turned over to 2 Corinthians 4 as we study together in the Word of God for these next few minutes. Well, once again, we find ourselves meeting with a sizable portion of our number away from us due to travel and vacation sorts of things. But I am reminded of what those prophets in the Old Testament said again and again, there yet remains a remnant. And I'm so thankful to be a part of that remnant this evening that we have come together tonight to worship God uh, for this second time on the uh, this Lord's Day, this first day of the week, to give God the fruit of our lips through song and through prayer, and now allow God to do some talking from His lips as He speaks to us through His Word. Read with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here. Paul, here in this chapter, he kind of begins by talking about the privilege that he has had to spread the gospel. And so he says in 2 Corinthians 4, beginning in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word. But By the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. I think about that verse often, actually. It might seem like an odd verse to think about, but I think about that verse whenever I get these church mailers, these church marketing postcards and flyers. Do you get those kinds of things in the mail at your residence? We get them at our residence all the time. and In fact, we get them here at the building all the time. I've told you before, I'm fascinated by those things. I actually collect those things. They make for good sermon illustrations. Here's one that actually came just recently from a, a church that's here in the local area. It's from a denominational church and it's advertising their Easter celebration and so they're asking you to save the date for that. The real calling card though is on the back. They give some more details about that. They say, join us for an inspirational Easter service including, and this is in the biggest print here, including the area's largest Easter egg hunt. And in fact, they weren't just offering one Easter egg hunt, but two Easter egg hunts, one at the conclusion of each of their services on Easter Sunday. However, the real hook in this advertisement is found right over here on the left side here. Because at each of those egg hunts, the church was going to be offering, they would be promising to give away a brand new iPod Touch. How about that? Some of us looking around saying, well, I kind of wanted to go. I think I have a good chance of winning that thing. Now, of course, we see these kinds of things often. We get them in the mailbox often. And this kind of thing really isn't all that uncommon these days. For example, not to be outdone by this church, but the Bay Area Fellowship Church, that's down in Corpus Christi, Texas, they actually gave away $2 million worth of prizes at their Easter service including flat screen televisions, Fender guitars, and get this, brand new automobiles. Wow, think about that. Go to church, drive home in a brand new car. Now, if maybe that's a little bit much for you, maybe the Hope Point Church in Salem, Oregon, maybe that would be more in your lane. On Father's Day, all of the dads in attendance at the Hope Point Church, at their 11 o'clock service, they were eligible to win a Jurassic Park giveaway package filled with tickets and DVDs and gift cards and more. 
Some of our kids are looking at that thinking, wow, I'd have liked to have won that. Nope, you can't win it. It's only for dads. Only dads qualify for that. Uh, the Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota, they got really creative with their giveaway because in conjunction with their sermon that particular Sunday titled Jesus in 3D, they were offering attendees the opportunity to win 3D televisions and 3D movies and even a Nintendo 3DS. In fact, the lead pastor of that church, a fellow by the name of Eric Dykstra, He was interviewed on the local news about their giveaways and he said, and I quote, he said, I have no problem bribing people with stuff as long as it gets them to meet Christ. Well, there you go. That sounds like some pretty sound logic, doesn't it? Let me give you just one more illustration of this kind of thing. This is actually my favorite. At the Grace Baptist Church in Troy, New York, they actually promoted a service in which they would be giving away a brand new assault rifle to one lucky parishioner. Because don't you know, nothing says, blessed are the peacemakers, like a guy coming out of the church toting an AR-15. Come on, what about that? You know, all around us, churches are involved in this kind of thing, what we might call church marketing gimmicks. And maybe the gimmicks that we see around us locally, maybe they're not always as as ostentatious as these up here. But the message is still the same across the board. And the message is this. Come here and get something. You come here. You come here and park yourself in our building. You're going to get something. We're going to give your kids a really great time. They're going to have all kinds of fun. You're going to be able to win a car, win an assault rifle. You'll get a bag of food or groceries. We'll fill you up. You come to church and you get something for you. The truth is, businesses, they actually engage in this kind of propaganda and this kind of activity all the time. Think about it. If the local car dealership, they bring in maybe some celebrity or some kind of a a sports figure and they set them up to sign autographs. Well, Well, why do they do that? Well, they do that because it draws people in, draws people there to the parking lot. And while they're there, the hope is, is that maybe they'll actually buy a car while they're there. Or think about down over here at Somerset Mall. During the Easter season, they bring in the Easter money. At Christmas time, they bring in Santa Claus. Why do they do that? Why do they set all that up? Because it brings people into the mall. And while they're at the mall, the hope and the expectation is is that they'll shop in the stores and they'll buy stuff and they'll purchase merchandise there. The whole idea is we got to get people in the door and then maybe they'll buy what we're selling. And you know, it took a little while before churches started to kind of catch on to what businesses were doing. But eventually churches started saying, well... Well, why don't we give that a try? That seems like a pretty effective strategy. In fact, the results of all of those various giveaways there were very, very successful based on numbers and crowds. And so churches have said, you know, why don't we give that a try? You know, we could bring in, for example, maybe a, a famous Christian athlete and we'll have him be a guest speaker and that'll really draw people in. Or, you know, maybe we could build a big facility, a big gymnasium. And we'll offer opportunities for people to come and to to play. We'll start a a sports league, start a softball league. We'll have basketball tournaments and all this kind of stuff. Maybe we'll build a big daycare facility and offer that to people out there. We'll have Mother's Day outs. We'll set up a big donut and coffee bar and offer that to people. And of course, if all of those things kind of don't work, if 
that doesn't work, then we'll just we'll start giving stuff away. We'll start giving out televisions and assault rifles and maybe even money. Just whatever it takes to get people in the door by any means necessary. But did you notice in our text in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says that he refused to appeal to such carnal tactics to advance the work of the gospel. Paul speaks there in verse 2 of techniques that are disgraceful and underhanded, the ESV translate them. Techniques that although they might reap some kind of dividends in the short term, ultimately end up compromising the message of the gospel in the long term. And yet churches today have scoffed at that and they've said, come on, if it gets people in the door, people who would not come otherwise, then isn't it worth it? If we can get them in the door and we'll feed them maybe a gospel sermon, we'll put Jesus in and around them in some way, then isn't it worth it? Why don't we, if I could just quote that pastor from a little bit earlier, why don't we just try and bribe people into the kingdom of God? Why don't we bribe people to become Christians through the use of prizes and giveaways and cash? Well, this evening, I hope it will not come as any surprise to you what I'm going to say about that. You know exactly what I'm going to say about that already. I'm going to tell you this evening that we cannot do that. And in fact, we will not do that. This evening, though, what I really want to do is I want you to understand why we don't do that. And I'll tell you, the reason that we don't do those kinds of things is not because, well, well, we've just never done it that way before. And since we've never done it that way before, then we're not going to do it that way. That's not the reason we don't do it. And the reason is not because, well, we don't have the money to do that. No, that's not the reason that we don't do these kinds of things. We refuse to participate in crash church marketing because it is wrong. In fact, I'll even be so bold as to say that it is sinful, and I hope by the end of the lesson this evening you'll see why it is in fact sinful, the idea of trying to somehow buy people's attention for the gospel. And what I want to do tonight for the next couple of minutes is I want to share with you three reasons as to why the Bible shows us that that is absolutely the case. Why can't we use these kinds of carnal tactics to appeal to the world and to get people interested in the Lord? Let me tell you, first and foremost, this is exactly where we need to start. Number one, we don't do that because such tactics are not authorized in Scripture. The very first question that must always be asked in the things that we do, especially the things that we do as a local church is... Is this the will of God? Is it God's will for us to do this? Maybe even more plainly asked. Does God want us to do this? Look in Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul speaks here about doing the Lord's will. In Colossians 3, look in verse 17. In Colossians 3 and verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do, whatever it is, in word or deed, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Do you see that expression there? In the name of? That denotes authority. It is by the authority, by the will of God, Paul says, that we are doing this in Jesus' name. That is, He has authorized us to do so. 
And I think it is fair to point out right here that lots of times what we think God would want us to do is not actually what God wants us to do. I'm reminded of that story in 2 Samuel chapter 7. We'll be reading 2 Samuel 7 this week in our Bible reading. I'm reminded of that story there about David who had what he thought was a great idea. And his idea was to build this great and magnificent temple for the Lord. And that appeared to be such a great idea that even a prophet of God, Nathan, came along and he signed off on that. He said, hey David, thumbs up for you. You should do all that's in your heart. But then God came along. And God said, no Nathan, that is not my will. And I want you to go back to David and I want you to tell him that that is not my will. It's not my will for him to build me a temple. His son Solomon is going to build that temple. And what I think that well illustrates is that just because we may think something is the will of God, hmm, that doesn't mean that it is the will of God. You know, I'd like to think, I'd like to think that people in general have, have at least some understanding about that. I really do. I really think most people do understand that. They've just not thought it all the way through. For example, if I suggested, hey, I know how we can get a big crowd in here. What we'll do is we'll put on a girly show. That's what we'll do. We'll just get us a bunch of dancing girls right here at church. That'll draw in a crowd. I mean, come on. That's clearly working in places like Las Vegas and these gentlemen clubs that we see around here. You put on a dancing girly show, what's going to happen? You're going to draw in all kinds of people. Should we do that? You know exactly what people would say if we did do that, don't you? People would say, what are you doing? You can't do that. You absolutely, we may disagree on a lot of things religiously, but you know what? You can't make the Lord's house a place for girly shows. You see, I think deep down, everybody understands that just because something draws in a big crowd doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. There's lots of ways that we could go about drawing in a crowd. We could go out here on Highway 27. And we could stop traffic out here with guns. Maybe we get some of those big assault rifles. And we compel people to come into church. Would we get a big crowd from that? I think we probably would, at least for a little while, until we got arrested and thrown in jail for that. But what we see from that is that is not an authorized way to carry out the will of the Lord. If the only test that is done to justify this kind of outrageous church marketing, if the only test that we do is to ask, did it work? Did it produce results? Did it produce a big crowd in the end? Then already I think we can see that that test fails. It fails miserably. The real test is, does God authorize it? Is this what God wants His church to do? And church marketing absolutely fails that test as well. Because when we open up the pages of the New Testament, never do we see the church employing these kinds of tactics. Never do we read about the church at Ephesus or Wednesday night, we're going to start starting, the church at Philippi. Never do we read about local congregations offering giveaways, promotions. Hey, come here and you can win a brand new chariot. Come down here and worship with us and you can receive 500 denarii as you go out the door. Where do we see anything like that in the New Testament church? Look with me in Acts chapter 20. Here's one just really quick illustration of a New Testament worship assembly. In Acts chapter 20, this is an assembly that takes place in the city of Troas. There are Christians that have met together here. They are taking the Lord's Supper together. They're doing that on the first day of the week. Look in Acts 20 verse 7. On the first day of the week... When we were gathered together to break bread, 
Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. I'll tell you this, I've gotten a lot of different church ads through the years, but I'll tell you this, I've never got a single one that advertised on it, come to our church and hear a sermon that will last till midnight. I've never gotten that on a flyer before. You know why that is? That's because Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, it shows us a group of believers who came together and they had a spiritual focus. It wasn't some carnal focus. They were there for spiritual activities. Which makes me wonder then, if all this giveaway business, all this pandering to people's carnal side, I wonder if that's really the way that we're to go about growing the kingdom of God, then why don't we ever see a single illustration of that in all of the New Testament? You know, do we really imagine, do people really imagine, that somehow now, now we've discovered something that God back then just, well, He just never thought of before. And now here we are all these centuries later, oh Lord, we finally figured out the recipe. We finally figured out the exact way to draw people into the kingdom of God. And God's sitting up in heaven saying, oh, thank you so much for figuring that out. I, I never would have thought of that on my own. Do we really think we're somehow smarter than God about this? Do people really think that we're somehow smarter than the apostles who labored in that first century under the guidance of the Holy Spirit? And that the Holy Spirit led them as they taught and instructed and they led the New Testament church to what they ought to be. God has always wanted His people to come to Him. There is no doubt about that. And so if this kind of stuff, if this is so great and so wonderful, if this really is what God wants then why can't we find one single verse in the New Testament that gives any indication of that? I think that's a fair question. I think when we're having conversations with our friends about that, that's what we want to ask. Why can't we find any verses that support such a doctrine? You know, maybe part of the problem here is the mistaken thinking that a worship assembly, that it is primarily an evangelistic tool. In fact, I even think that sometimes we... I think sometimes even we believe that. Even we make that mistake. But I want to tell you something this evening. That's not found in Scripture. In the New Testament, worship is for God. Worship is for God, not for unbelievers. Now, the Bible certainly does understand that unbelievers from time to time will visit the assemblies of God's people. Look at 1 Corinthians 14. In 1 Corinthians 14, there is discussion here on how to conduct worship in such a way so that if an unbeliever does come in and they do visit with us, that unbeliever won't leave thinking, whoa, them people are crazy. That's a zoo going on in there. Paul gives instructions about that. 1 Corinthians 14, look in verse 23. Paul says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all are speaking in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. And so the Bible shows that there is some consideration for non-Christians as it relates to our assemblies. But this idea that somehow the primary function of the assembly is to provide a venue to entertain and to draw non-Christians in, my friends, that is foreign to the Scriptures. Worship is for God. We are here to please Him. We are here to do what He wants, not to draw Him a crowd. Let me illustrate that for you this way. Imagine if for Tiffany's birthday, 
Imagine I go to her and I say, Honey, what, what do you want for your birthday? Well, what do you want? I've, I've given her some, some bum gifts in the past. So I want to make it right. I want to do exactly what she wants for her birthday this year and let's make that all right. Honey, what do you want to do? And she says, what I'd like to do is I just want you and me, we're going to go out to a nice restaurant and just you and me together, we're going to have dinner and just us be alone together for the evening. We're going to pawn Hattie off on the grandparents or do something with her, put her in a cage, whatever we got to do. Just us going to go out. We're going to go out and we're going to have a nice dinner together, kind of quiet, just the two of us. And so I think about that a little bit, and I decide that instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw her a big, giant party. And I'm going to invite just as many people as I possibly can. I've got like 1,500 friends on Facebook. I'm going to send an invitation out to all of those people. And so what I do is I make a little event on Facebook, and I invite every single one of those people. In fact, even others as well. And I say you ought to come. And I post on there that if you come, you're going to get cake, you're going to get ice cream, you're going to get prizes, there'll be giveaways, you come to this birthday shindig. I even make up some flyers, start posting them out all in the community. You all just come. Come to this big party that I'm having for my wife, and you'll get to get some benefit from that as well. And so then on the day of the birthday, the day finally comes, Tiffany shows up at the house, and we open up the door and we say, Surprise! Happy birthday! You know, isn't this great? Look at all of this. Look at all of these people, honey. This is wonderful. I just knew this is exactly what you want. I just knew this would be great. Aren't you so happy? Those of you that have gotten a chance to know Tiffany, what is her response going to be? She's going to say, have you lost your mind? What have you done? I don't know these people. I've never met many of these people before. I don't know them. They don't know me. They don't even care about me. They're just here to get the ice cream and the cake and to get the prizes and all of the goodies. Let me ask you, who then judges the success of a birthday party simply based on the size of the crowd? Well, nobody does that. Why then, may I ask, Why would we judge the success of a local church and the worship of the local church simply based on the size of the crowd? What we need to do is we need to simply worship and serve God as He has set forth in the Scriptures. Anything that might happen with an outsider, an unbeliever coming into our midst, that would be a delight. We would welcome that. That would be kind of considered a fringe benefit. That's just kind of icing on the cake. But I'm saying to you tonight, we dare not bend the worship of the church or the mission of the church by somehow drawing this massive crowd. We're going to justify all of that by saying, oh, well, well, it's evangelism. We were just being evangelistic. No, it's not. It is outside of the authority of Scripture. Now, I know that even as I make those statements there, somebody's going to say, well, Josh, okay, that might be true, not necessarily arguing with that, but you know what? I have an uncle who got into church by going to one of those drawing and giveaway sort of things. You know, it got him interested in the Lord. It actually worked. And I do realize that sometimes people are drawn to Christ for the wrong reasons, and I'll say more about that in a couple of moments, and I realize that even based on those wrong reasons, it can, in some cases, even ultimately work out for good. That can happen, and that does happen. But I'll say again, that does not give a license for the church to act without God's authority, without biblical warrant, and then somehow we decide that that's a good thing and pat ourselves on the back. 
As long as it meets with some measure of success by our standards, oh, we did a good job, that was a good thing. This thinking that it worked and so it must be right, that is fatally flawed. What makes it right is when God authorizes a thing. And absent a direct commandment from Scripture or an approved apostolic example from Scripture, we must not do it. And I think that becomes even clearer when we actually stop and think about what it means to become and to be a child of God. Think for just a moment about about the decision to obey the gospel. Think about the decision that you made to obey the gospel and what all went into that. As you're thinking about that, let me illustrate for you. When you go to Walmart or Kroger and you're there in the in the checkout line in kind of the, the cattle stall as you sometimes might think of it as, what's, what's in there? What's on both sides of the cattle stall when you're there in the checkout line at Walmart? You know what's in there. Andy... Gum, mints, all kinds of sweets of every kind. Parents of small children know that that is the work of Satan. There's all kinds of candy there. There's hand sanitizer. There's chapstick. There's toothpicks. There's all kinds of other stuff that when you go to the checkout line, you didn't even realize that you needed those things. But now that you're there, oh, I do in fact need those things. You know, hey honey, look at that. Can you believe that? Look at that right there. It's a combination pocket calculator, apple peeler, and dog whistle. I never knew that I needed such a thing. Let me throw that in the car. Let's get one of those. And you know, I say that because I think sometimes that really is the idea behind this church marketing stuff. That what we're going to do is we're going to get people here. That's objective number one. Whatever it takes, the giveaways, the goodies, the prizes, get something for yourself. And then when they're here, we'll just kind of surround them with the message of the gospel. And even if they didn't realize it, hopefully they will then make an impulse decision. They'll grab some of that. They'll throw it in their cart and they'll say, Oh! I need Jesus. I do. I didn't even realize that I needed Jesus before. Didn't even know Jesus before I walked into this building. But you know what? I need to get saved. I need to do that right now. Yet the Bible teaches that Christianity was never meant to be an impulse purchase. That is something that I believe is very clearly taught in the Scriptures. That you don't just suddenly decide out of nowhere, hey... I think I'll be a Christian today. Jesus said, you better not do it that way. Look at Luke the 14th chapter. In Luke chapter 14, please, I have gotten to where when I sit down and study with folks who are interested in the gospel and they're thinking about becoming a Christian, we go to Luke 14. We spend some time here before we get into that water. In Luke 14, Jesus talks about what it means to be a disciple. And so He says in Luke 14 and in verse 26... Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. You want to follow Christ? You better start by evaluating your human relationships. In fact, you better even evaluate how you think about yourself. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus Are you thinking about that price tag? Are you thinking about the cost of being my follower? Verse 28, to really drive this home. Verse 28, For which of you, 
Desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, verse 31, going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, verse 33, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Let me ask you, does any of that sound like an impulse purchase? Does any of that sound like just some quick decision that you just suddenly make all of a sudden? No. Becoming a Christian is a carefully informed decision. That involves a commitment, a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ. It is based in teaching, in doctrine, in learning, and then in faith, taking decisive action. In fact, Jesus tells a parable in Matthew the 13th chapter about the problem of people who are just quick to decide. They are the impulse shoppers. In Matthew chapter 13, this is the parable of the sower. Jesus describes in this parable, he describes first of all the, the seed, and the seed represents the Word of God. And he talks about how that seed falls on various soils, and the soils represent different kinds of hearts. Notice what he says in verse 5, Matthew 13 verse 5. He says, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up. But since they had no depth of soil... And then, just hold on right there. You might be asking, as you read that, you might be thinking, well, all right, well, what's he just talking about there? I get kind of the metaphor, the idea of what it means in a gardening sense, but what's the, what's the point for us? Well, he gives the explanation. Look in verse 20. In verse 20, he says, as for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Just as immediate as the action was to accept the word, it was just as immediate to forsake it. Didn't think it through. Didn't count the cost. Didn't really contemplate the commitment that was going to be required here. Instead, just kind of jumped right into this thing. Made an impulse decision and what happened? It didn't last. It didn't last. In fact, sometimes I wonder if we look at certain stories in the Bible and we imagine that, well, Jesus, that's, that's not always true. In fact, Jesus, I can show you some stories in the Bible that are quite the opposite of what you're describing there. Have you maybe ever heard a preacher or a Bible class teacher, maybe they're talking about the story of Jesus calling the apostles to to come and to be fishers of men. And when they teach that story, they almost make it sound like those guys knew Jesus for all of three seconds before they dropped everything and started following Him. But, But that's not actually how that happened. If you piece together the chronology of Jesus' life in the Gospels, Those men had been around Jesus for maybe at least six months, maybe even longer on a part-time basis, listening to Him teach, getting to know the Master, before finally Jesus called on them to follow Him on a full-time basis. You know, maybe you're thinking about the Philippian jailer. That's probably the one that's coming to your mind right now. You might think the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. Now that, 
That seems like an impulse purchase in Acts the 16th chapter. That guy got baptized immediately. The Bible talks about the same hour of the night. And while I will grant you that, yeah, that does seem like a pretty quick conversion, I want you to understand that that decision that he and his family made, it was preceded, verse 32, by them being taught the Word of the Lord. In fact, I'd even draw your attention to verse 30 of that same chapter where the jailer was the one who asked about salvation. This was not Paul and Silas trying to bait this guy into making some kind of impromptu decision. No, this guy wants to know about salvation. He already has some level of understanding about his need to be saved. That's why then Paul and Silas do the work of helping give him even more information so that he can be saved. And that means then that the whole premise of church marketing, get them here, get them to make a quick decision for the Lord, it is unwise at best, and it is unbiblical at worst. I would actually say to you this evening, we actually don't want people to come to church and then in a rush of emotion, without the right understanding, then make a hasty and uninformed decision. We don't want that to happen. Which means finally this evening, that all of this church marketing business, it actually is very counterproductive to what the Lord really wants. It is counterproductive to what Christianity is all about. Look in Luke the ninth chapter with me. In Luke chapter 9, this is another of those great chapters where Jesus talks about just the reality of being His disciple. In Luke 9 and in verse 23, Jesus says there, Luke 9 verse 23, He said to all of them, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. I really don't think that I can emphasize this point enough. Jesus came to this earth and He urged men and He urged women to give themselves up to empty themselves, to pour themselves out as a living sacrifice for God. Let me ask you then, how in the world can you possibly imagine that we can make an appeal to the world, make an appeal for people to come here and to give themselves up, to deny themselves, that we make that appeal to them by saying, hey, come here and we'll give you everything that you wanted. We'll satisfy any and every need. We've got all these things we want to give you. We want to give you money. We want to give you TVs. We want to give you all of this stuff. That, that is completely backwards to what Jesus just taught here in Luke 9, 23. There is no way on earth that you can get a group of people together who are interested in self-denial by sending out a flyer that says, hey, look at all this stuff that you can come and get for yourself and you can get for free. That's kind of almost the equivalent of of a vegetarian club, maybe you've got a little vegetarian club, and they're sitting around talking and they're wondering, how can we, how can we boost membership here? How can we get more people interested in the vegetarian club? And somebody says, ah, I've got it. We'll have a barbecue. That's what we'll do. We'll have a big old barbecue. People love barbecue, especially this time of year. We'll have a barbecue. That'll get people into this club. Wow! Just by your publicity. Just by your very advertising, that would actually end up repelling away the very people that you are trying to reach. And what Jesus is helping us to understand here in Luke 9 
is that when a church stands up and we say, come and get, come and get something. You win a car. You win an iPad. You win a skateboard. You'll have fun. You'll be entertained. What we are doing is we are actually pushing away the very kinds of people that Jesus wants to attract. How in the world then is that possibly a good idea? Look in John 6 with me. In John 6, some of you, as I kind of got going with this lesson, you've probably been thinking to yourself this whole time, boy, John 6 would really work here, Josh. Are you ever going to include John 6? I'm doing it right now. In John the 6th chapter, you had to know we were going to John chapter 6 because it is the consummate text to learn these very principles that I've set before this evening. In John chapter 6, look in verse 26. As Jesus has these multitudes of people, they're thronging around Him. John 6 verse 26, Jesus answered them and He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking Me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Jesus says, you guys are just here to get. You're here to get lunch. That's why you're here. Verse 27, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him God the Father has set His seal. Jesus says the kingdom of God, it's about a whole lot more than getting lunch. And Jesus says what I am looking for is I am looking for people who want not the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life. I'm looking for people who are looking for God. But the truth of the matter is, on that fateful day, there weren't very many of those kinds of people in that audience. Drop down to the end of the chapter, verse 66. John 6, verse 66, After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with them. And then verse 67, So Jesus ran frantically after them and He said, Hey, we'll give you a car if you'll come and follow Me. Is that what your Bible says? No, it does not. The truth of the matter is, Jesus was actually content to let that crowd go. And unfortunately, on this point, I fear that sometimes we don't always side with Jesus here. Because what we are convinced of is we are convinced that what God really wants is that God wants Big crowds. That's a very American way of thinking. We're always interested in big stuff and then getting bigger stuff. And we're just convinced that that's what God wants. That God wants big numbers. But I would submit to you this evening that what God wants is faithful hearts. Which means that God is most certainly not interested in this get a crowd by any means necessary mentality. God wants people who want Him. God wants people who are broken spiritually and who then desire His healing. God wants people who see their need for a Savior. They see their need for Jesus and they long for Him like a thirsty deer pants for water. God doesn't want an audience. God wants a church. And it is past time for someone to stand up and to say that there is a big difference between an audience and a church. It is counterproductive to the call of the gospel to try and lure people in with toys and gimmicks and giveaways. It draws people in for the wrong reasons. 
It teaches people that there is no such thing as a truly spiritually minded church. I mean, come on, where would you even find such a thing in this world today? And don't forget this as well. If you draw them in with fun and food and games, what do you got to do to keep them? You know, people in our day and time have really short attention spans. And if all the entertaining and all the prizes and all the food and all the fun, if it ain't coming, well then we'll go to the other carnival down the street because they're still offering it. And that is why tonight I will reiterate that the reason this local church, the Lakeside Church of Christ, is not, cannot, and will not be involved in these kinds of crass church marketing schemes It's because it is wrong. It is not authorized by Scripture. It gives people the impression that coming to Christ, that it can be just this knee-jerk reaction, this impulse decision. And thirdly, it ends up drawing people for the wrong reasons. It ends up drawing people for the very opposite reason that Jesus intended. And I submit these to you this evening. Not only to maybe provide you with some ideas and some answers for when you're having these kinds of conversations with your neighbors and your friends, but I also provide these to you this evening because we need to be rock solid on these truths. And if we're not rock solid on these truths, then a day will come that we will lower ourselves to the level of the religious world around us and we will resort to trying to bribe people into the kingdom of God. Somebody would maybe ask then, well, Josh, how do we draw people into the kingdom? What do we hear? What do we have to offer people so that they will be interested in spiritual things? I'll let Jesus answer that. In John 12 and in verse 32, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I, Jesus, I will draw all people to myself. What do we have to offer people? Jesus. What can we maybe put on our flyers and our advertisements and our website that lets people know, hey, we've got something that we want to give you. We want to do a free giveaway. What can we put on there? Jesus. What does the Lakeside Church of Christ, what do we use to bait and to draw people into the kingdom of God? Jesus. And at the end of the day, Isn't that enough? It is more than enough. And so we extend heaven's invitation. And we are offering to you tonight, if you're not a Christian, we are offering to you, and we make no apologies about this, we're offering you nothing but Jesus and Him crucified. We are offering you His precious blood. And I realize that's not, that's not flashy. It's not exciting. It doesn't get you, oh boy, I'm walk out of here with all kinds of goodies in my arms. That's not what that's going to do for you. It's not going to make you rich. It's not going to provide you with all kinds of goods and stuff. But I'll tell you what it will do. It'll wash your sins away. It'll put you into fellowship with your Creator. And it'll then place you on the road that leads to heaven. Can we help someone this evening to do just that? To come to Jesus by your obedience to the gospel. Be buried with Him in baptism so that you your sins can be washed away and you can in fact be in Christ. All things are ready for you tonight to do just that. 
If you are a Christian, brother or sister, it may just be that there is sin in your life and it has caused you to be separated from God. I want you to know tonight that the remedy for that problem, it is still the same. It's Jesus. That's what will fix that. First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We stand ready to encourage you, to pray with you, and to help you to be more faithful to the Lord this evening. If there's anyone who is subject to heaven's invitation and you are ready to act upon it, then why don't you do that right now? Make your way to the front while we stand and while we sing.